Some things you buy are designed to last a long time, so they're relatively easy to fix. When you put new tires on a car, it drives a lot better. Uh, you know, the rubber wears out. You need to replace tires in your car every couple of years. You need to replace the battery in your phone every couple of years. But we have this expectation that cars are going to last several years, where for some reason we don't have that expectation with phones. But many of today's top-selling smartphones aren't easy to fix, and you might not even be able to replace the battery. But the Fairphone 2 is different. All the most commonly broken parts in your phone can be easily replaced with a normal screwdriver. Um, even my grandmother can do this. And that's just one of the things that makes the Fairphone 2 unusual. Coming up on LPX, is it really possible to build a smartphone that's made to last, and which also has a social and environmental impact? Welcome to LPX. I'm Brad Linder. The first thing that stands out about the Fairphone 2 is just how easy it is to fix. You don't even need a screwdriver to take the screen off. And some models come with a clear case so you can see all the components inside the phone without removing the cover. But repairability is just one of the things that makes this phone stand out. The Amsterdam-based company behind the phone also wants to improve conditions for factory workers and build its phones using conflict-free materials. I spoke with Fairphone Public Engagement Manager Daria Karanushkina about the origins of the project. Let's start maybe from the fact that um, everything comes from the ground uh, and even our phones. Actually, to produce just one smartphone, um, more than 40 minerals are used. Some of those minerals, such as tantalum, tungsten and gold, are called conflict minerals um, because they often are mined in conflict areas such as Eastern Congo. And the profits from mining those minerals often finance their armed groups that are controlling the mines in the region. Um, so what we uh, do at Fairphone is, as the first step, we focus on sourcing conflict-free minerals. We don't move away from Congo because we still want to support local economy. But we do integrate uh, minerals that come from conflict-free certified mines um, in Congo all the way to our phone. So, so when you say conflict-free certified, what goes into that? How, how can you be certain that the money that you're spending on these materials is not paying for armed conflict? Well, we wouldn't uh, be able to do it alone because uh, it is quite a challenge, first of all, to find responsible sources, but also to trace all those minerals through different suppliers all the way to the phone. So we partner with multi-stakeholder initiatives that include NGOs that are working on the ground, includes um, different other actors uh, and suppliers. And um, yeah, in this way, um, mines are certified, mines are constantly monitored that they remain conflict-free. And there is also a traceability system in place that allows to trace uh, um, those conflict-free minerals throughout the supply chain. Karanushkina says when Fairphone started in 2010, the goal was to raise awareness of conflict minerals. While this campaign was going on for three years, and our founder and the team went to the mines in Congo, um, they talked to a lot of different uh, um, players in the industry, we realized that on the one hand, conflict minerals is just one of thousands of issues in the electronics supply chain. And secondly, we realized that these issues are all a part of a very complex system. So in order to understand it first and start addressing those problems, we actually need to become a part of that system and we need to produce a phone 
to open up uh, and improve uh, the supply chain behind it. Uh, and while uh, we are going to produce that phone, we are going to tell the story of how we are doing that all to the consumer. So in this way, uh, we can still raise awareness and uh, educate uh, people about how, how our phones and how our stuff in general is made. But then the, the team was, uh, still didn't actually include uh, any uh, tech people <laughs> for the first half a year. So the first thing we did, we actually wanted to check the market. Are there people who want to buy um, something like that, a phone that puts social values first? So we put up a crowdfunding campaign and we said if 5,000 people will pre-order this phone in the first month, then we are going to start producing it. And basically more than 10,000 people pre-ordered the phone for 325 euros from a company that never made a phone before and said, we want this, we want to become a part of this change. Uh, so that was very inspiring. And uh, basically since then, uh, <laughs> where it's been quite a wild journey. <laughs> and, and so that was the original Fairphone. What, what has the group learned since launching its first phone and how has that informed the decisions behind the second phone? Well, one of the main things where we could really make a next step uh, with the Fairphone 2 is that with the first Fairphone, we didn't have resources to invest in our own design. So what we did is we used licensed design from a manufacturer in China. So that meant that on the one hand, we had not much influence on the product design, but also the supply chain uh, was sort of prepackaged. So making certain inter interventions was pretty difficult. But after 60,000 people bought Fairphone 1, we could invest in our own design for Fairphone 2. And on the one hand, we now uh, have much more transparency in our supply chain. We can engage with the suppliers directly to integrate more responsibly sourced materials, to influence production processes, etc. And on the other hand, we could innovate in the product design and make this phone really uh, modular and really easy to repair for anyone. And 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 speaking of you know once again the the resources that go into uh, into building a phone, if somebody spends five hundred and twenty nine euros or about five hundred and eighty dollars right now on a fair phone and they get this phone and they hold it in their hands, does that mean that this is a phone that is a hundred percent made from ethically sourced materials, or is it? still kind of a work in progress in terms of there might be some things that are difficult to get, but at least it's being bought from a from an organization that values these things, is spending on these things, is investing in these things? Um, the Fairphone is far from being a 100% Fairphone. And we knew that from the beginning. One of the main reasons is because the supply chain of one smartphone is so complex and includes so many issues that it's not possible to change it overnight. So what you're buying into is really their approach and you can be a part of this change, a part of the movement for fairer and more sustainable electronics, but you're not buying a 100% fair phone. And, and so looking ahead towards the future, imagine you know, five, 10 years from now, what do you hope 
the, the smartphone industry or the consumer electronics industry looks like? Well, definitely fairer <laughs> uh, in a sense of uh, um, that more um, conflict-free uh, fair trade uh, materials are used, that working conditions at the factories are better, that phones are actually uh, more uh, long-lasting, uh, more open to repair, and that there are better uh, recycling processes to get all those minerals, including such precious metals uh, as gold, for example, back into the system once uh, your phone dies. And if lots of other phone makers start to adopt those practices, does Fairphone close up and go home? Or, or do you think that, uh, that you'll have a role to play moving forward? Yeah, see, that's the good thing about fairness, <laughs> but also a sad thing at the same time, because fairness is never ready, right? It's a philosophical term. The world is not fair, <laughs> and that's the same for a phone, which is just a little a symbol of our economic system. Um, you know, for some people, uh, fairness is about materials, and for some people, it's about open source software, and for other people, it's about privacy, uh, security, uh, etc., etc. So um, we believe that you can actually never reach a 100% fair phone, and that's why. We will always have work to do, but you can definitely make phones and the supply chain fairer and fairer and fairer. So that's what we are going to work on. In addition to sourcing materials from conflict-free mines, Fairphone wants to improve the conditions for workers in factories that assemble its phones. For every Fairphone that's sold, $5 is put into a worker welfare fund. Workers elect representatives who get to decide what the money is used for, so it can pay for things like better wages, bonuses, training, or better canteen lunches. And the company wants to build phones that can last for three to five years. That's why the company's second phone has a modular design that makes it easy to repair. With many phones, it's almost as expensive to replace one broken part as it is to just buy a whole new phone. But Fairphone will sell you a replacement for broken screens, cameras, or other components. So in the Fairphone 2, you have seven modules. You can easily replace your screen. Uh, you can replace your battery. You can replace the top module with a headset jack, with a front camera. Uh, you can uh, replace speaker, USB port, etc. So all the most commonly broken parts in your phone can be easily replaced with a normal screwdriver. Even my grandmother can do that, <laughs> uh, right? So. The other thing that is interesting about modular design is, of course, the opportunities for upgradability. So that's something that we are definitely going to look at, and we are going to continuously release uh, incremental upgrades on the phone so that it can actually live on the market longer. And we can refresh uh, the camera at some point, uh, as this is one of the most utilized features on, on the phone. There is also um, expansion ports that we integrated uh, into the Fairphone 2. We are going to release documentation for that uh, very soon, so that anyone can experiment and can uh, make their own back covers uh, with additional functionality that could connect to the phone. So you could imagine uh, somebody or even us from Fairphone releasing a new back cover with a chipset, uh, NFC chipset on it. And then to add NFC chipset to your phone, you would just need 
to buy or uh, get that uh, back cover. Or wireless charging or something else that might not be in the, the phone as it ships, but that you could just add by just putting on a new back cover that would not cost as much as a whole new phone. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it wouldn't cost that much. And also it's um, uh, less environmental impact uh, if we can avoid producing uh, more phones every year. The Fairphone 2 went on sale in Europe in 2015. It's not the fastest phone on the market. It doesn't have the best screen or the best camera, but it is one of the first smartphones to feature a modular design. Google's Project Aura is an effort to build a modular smartphone system, but it's not available to the public yet. And the LG G5 smartphone has a slot that lets you slide out the battery and attach modules for better audio or photography features. But the Fairphone 2 is the first really modular phone that's hit the market, and it's designed to be easy to take apart and to put back together. Just how easy? It's the first phone to get a perfect 10 out of 10 score for repairability from iFixit, an online resource for user-generated repair manuals. iFixit also regularly posts teardowns of new devices from Apple, Samsung, and other electronics companies. Founder Kyle Ween says most phones are a lot tougher to repair than a Fairphone 2. The phone that's kind of infamous for getting a one from us is the HTC One, uh, which is glued together in such a way that it's pretty much impossible to repair the screen or replace the battery. So if you buy an HTC One, you know that it is a phone that is designed to last about 18 months and then get thrown away. Compare that to a Fairphone, where the Fairphone 2 is the first phone that we've rated that ever got a 10 out of 10. And the Fairphone, the screen actually doesn't require any, any tools to swap. iFixit co-wrote the official repair guide for the Fairphone 2, and the iFixit app actually comes preloaded on the phone, which Ween says means there's a repair manual for the phone on the phone. You know, we wrote the repair manual for the Fairphone, but I felt like it didn't really need it. Uh, the industrial design and, and icons on the product really walk you through the process. And they say, hey, there's a, there's a little diagram that says, hey, this is the camera, and there's one Phillips screw holding the camera in, no problem. Wynn says he would love to use the Fairphone 2 as his primary smartphone, but there's a problem. Right now, it's only available in Europe, and the phone doesn't support U.S. wireless networks. Fairphone is starting to show off the phone in the United States, but it probably won't go on sale in the U.S. until 2017 at the earliest. Still, Wynn says it's refreshing to see a company focusing on repairability, when many companies don't even allow you to replace a phone's battery. For me, a removable battery isn't something that matters so much day to day. It's really like, hey, every year or year and a half, you need a new battery for your phone. And what ends up happening is people, you know, they get 18 months in and they're like, well, there's a new phone, a new iPhone or a new Samsung out. And I kind of want to get a new one anyway. And my battery isn't going that great. If it was easy for you to swap out the battery, I think people would be inclined to keep their phone longer. But because the manufacturers make it a little bit challenging and it's different model to model and maybe you can't get a battery at your local store. All of that friction adds up to people deciding to make an early upgrade decision rather than what really is routine maintenance, just swapping out the battery. Right. So your screen breaks, you probably want to replace it. Although I see a lot of people actually using phones with broken screens because it might just seem like too much hassle. Your battery dies and it's sort of a, it doesn't die. It just isn't as good now as it used to be. And so a phone that might really be useful for multiple years that's not broken in any way, it just becomes a little bit less useful over time. And it makes you think, well, maybe I need a new phone when maybe otherwise you wouldn't, right? Exactly. And we talk to people all the time. They're just blown away. They, they put in a new battery and they're like, wow, it's like I have a brand new phone. We're like, Yeah, it's, you know, it's just routine maintenance. It's like when you put new tires on a car, it drives a lot better. Uh, you know, the rubber wears out. You need to replace tires in your car every couple of years. You need to replace the battery in your phone every couple of years. But we have this expectation that cars are going to last several years where for some reason we don't have that expectation with phones. 
and so, you know, if something breaks, you can repair it. Theoretically, if new modules came out, if there was a better camera or something, you could put that in. Right now, this particular device, you can't upgrade the processor or some of the other internal components. But still, it's it's designed, as you were saying, instead of in 18 months when the battery is no good anymore, not only can you swap in a new battery, you can swap in all sorts of parts. Do you think this is a phone that people will want to still be using in three years, though? I think so. And you know, one thing to keep in mind is that it, it's not necessarily the first person that buys a phone that, that uh, is going to be using it in three or five years. Uh, if you have a phone that's $600 now, maybe three years from now, it's going to sell for half that. So it's a $300 phone. And a couple of years after that, it's a $150 phone. There's no reason that these very high-end phones that we're making that are $600 now shouldn't still be functional seven or eight years from now and maybe selling for $30 or $40. And all of a sudden, you can take what's cutting edge, really, you know, life-changing technology today, get it in the hands of somebody in several years that, that can only afford a $40 phone. Uh, and this has worked really well in the PC world. Uh, you know, you can go to Nairobi and you can buy a five-year-old Dell laptop that still works great. And it's, it's a way to get a modern OEM laptop in the hands of somebody that couldn't otherwise afford it. So, so, so Fairphone is a relatively new company. I mean, they've been around a couple of years now, but there's a chance that maybe if you buy a phone now, the company might not even exist in two or three years. I don't know that that'll happen, but it could happen. And so you might not be able to get replacement parts from the company. But based on the design, would it be possible for somebody to make their own replacement parts or to buy third-party parts? Or you know, does, does the modularity open up that sort of possibility, do you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it'll either make it easier for somebody to make par compatible parts, or it'll make it easier for people to harvest parts from units that are out there in the marketplace. Uh, so an example is the Amazon Kindle. A lot of them are fairly easy to repair. Amazon doesn't make any parts available. They've never sold parts for the Kindles. But electronics recyclers, when they get Kindles into recycle, instead they'll harvest the parts and they'll sell the screens and the batteries. And that has made a parts market available. Why, why do you think there has been this sort of swing towards not including screws on the back of the case or latches on the back of the case and, and removing the removable batteries? Why, why do you think there's been such a focus on everything except for repairability in recent years? Well, industrial designers have a hard problem. They're, they're given their set of constraints, and the constraints are constraints from marketing, constraints from uh, the engineering team, uh, constraints with the thickness of the camera. Uh, they've got the durability teams that are doing all kinds of drop tests and saying, hey, you know, we want to make this thing more durable. We want to reduce our warranty costs. And then you also have the serviceability teams inside these companies that are you know, doing design for repair. Maybe they're working on reducing warranty and warranty repair costs. So you have all of these different trade-offs internally, and the design team has to make a decision. Uh, and we have seen a lot of companies, and Apple kind of spearheaded this with the iPad design, shift to gluing things together. Because when you glue things together, it really helps out with drop testing. It helps out with some of the durability. Because uh, if, if you have a connector inside and the connector is glued down, it doesn't. you have to drop it pretty hard in order to break that glue loose. So it's easier to design a product that is thin and durable uh, when you glue things together and you make it completely unserviceable. Uh, but there's a lot of economic and environmental costs to that. And so when you see someone like LG or Fairphone that manages to get through and achieve all of those uh, design trade-offs and still have something that's serviceable, uh, it's a real coup and it's something that should really be applauded. Uh, but it's not easy and it's not something that just happens by default. Kyle Weens is founder of iFixit. You can find out more about the company by visiting iFixit.com. You can also learn more about the Fairphone 2 by visiting fairphone.com, where you'll find a breakdown of the phone's costs, among other things. 
And you can learn more about the LPX podcast at lpxshow.com, where you can find links to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Google+. You can also hit the contact button on the website if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows. You can subscribe to LPX in iTunes or just about any other podcast app. And don't forget to leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Brad Linder.